Jonah, as we looked at last week, was really a bad missionary. I mean, he was a terrible missionary. Think about it. God tells him to go and minister to these lost people uh, in Assyria. Nineveh was their capital. They were just a wicked, evil people. I compared them, I mean, historically, the book of Nahum, which was another uh, prophet there uh, alongside Jonah. Uh, He talks a lot about their evils as a people. And I thought in our day, probably the most comparable group would be the atrocities that we hear about ISIS would be comparable. And so God called Jonah and said, I want you to go, verse 1, go ahead and put it up there, we'll just read it, verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, which literally means, you know, if you may have a version, but it just means get up and go now, arise, go now to Nineveh, capital of Assyria, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. We'll just kind of leave that up there for a second. But he was called to reach these people. Now, Jonah, he was a Hebrew. And in most cases, uh, maybe you can find one, but this is one of those, the only prophet that was specifically called to go and preach or to witness for God to a people that were outside of the covenant community of Israel. He was called to these Gentiles, these pagans, uh, certainly not part of that covenant of Israel, and he was called to go and preach to them God's judgment. How many of you know anytime you get up and talk about that, especially to people that uh, don't have any concept of God or even people who do, that's not always the most popular message, right? And so that's what he was called to do. He, and, uh, you know, when you think of the book of Jonah, what's the first thing you think about? A big fish. It doesn't say whale, but something could be. Don't, we don't know, but it was a big fish. We think about it, even have it there on the graphic. But Jonah is not a book about a fish. Fish is just one piece of, the, of how, what God did there. The book of Jonah, and we talked about this last week. It's online. You can go online if you're uh, interested in doing that and listen to the full message. But Jonah is a book that reveals God. It's a book about God. Uh, The fish is mentioned four times. The city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times, but God is mentioned 38 times. And so it really is a message about God's sovereignty, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. And uh, and it just tells us a lot about God. And that's what we want to emphasize in our uh, study of Jonah. And we're calling this the gospel according to Jonah. The gospel means good news. And there is good news in Jonah. The gospel of grace runs all throughout the book of Jonah, even to those who run away from him. How many of you have found that to be true, that God's grace is abundant, especially those that run away from him? And that's why I said last week that Jonah is one of those individuals that we all can relate to. We're all Jonas. At some point, we're all Jonas. We, we, you know, we don't walk 100% in obedience, we, and, and even to things that God specifically directs us. We say, yes, thank you, God, and then we go the opposite direction. That's what he did. God called him to go to Nineveh, which was maybe 500 miles from where he was at, and he went over 2,000 miles or attempted to go 2,000 miles the other direction. That'd be like God saying, you know, I want you to go up to New York City and go to Times Square and minister to the people of New York, and you get on a plane and you go to Los Angeles. That's not 
following God's direction. Uh, Jonah, I believe, is a true story. We talked a little bit about this. I believe it's accurate. It's true because I believe the Word of God is true. The Word of God is accurate. And uh, there's, there's been situations that uh, historically where there's been similar uh, individuals who have actually been swallowed by a great fish and lived to tell about it. And uh, we may talk about those uh, next week. But one of the keystone reasons that I believe the book of Jonah is true, this kind of trumps everything, is because Jesus believed that it was true. Now, we won't look at it, but Jesus in Matthew and Luke, two references, he actually used the historicity of Jonah and tied it into a prophetic truth related to him, which was his resurrection. And if anybody would know whether it was accurate, I, I think Jesus would know the truthfulness of it. Do you think he would use some fairy tale to tie a truth of his resurrection to some fantasy fairy tale like Jonah? No, he said just as Jonah was in, was in the belly of the fish three days, so the Son of Man will be buried for three days before he is risen. I'm paraphrasing. And so to me, that's very, that's very important. Uh, it's a short story. You can read it easily in 30, 40 minutes. It's only four chapters. Um, but Jonah is a very revealing story. Not only is it revealing about who God is, but Jonah really immediately, right off the bat, and we'll see this again this morning, is, G- is Jonah, it reveals our own lives. As I said, we're all Jonahs in some measure. Maybe you're less of a Jonah today. We're all we struggle with the will of God. We struggle with the purpose, you know, and, and even though especially we're okay when God gives us easy things, but it's when he calls us to whatever our Nineveh is, and we talked about that last week. Whatever your Nineveh is, that's something that pushes your comfort zone. That's something that you don't want to do. Your Nineveh might be something that, uh, you know, it might be dealing and, and forgiving a family member. It might be uh, you, you know, you may struggle with a certain group of people and their ethnicity, and God is saying you need to love those as your neighbor because I made them in my image. Uh, whatever it is, we all have a Nineveh. We all have some place that we say, okay, God, and I'm going the wrong direction, a runaway prophet like Jonah. Uh, so it reveals a lot about our own selves. Now, last week we looked at the, the call that God gave, pretty straightforward, and it says there in verse 1, that's still on the screen, uh, the Lord said, I want you to go to, I want you to go to this group called Nineveh, this city, great capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire in this day and time, they were the dominant power in that part of the world, okay? And the Lord says, I want you to go to this great city because of their great evil and tell them, essentially, that judgment is coming unless they repent. Uh, God gave a very specific word to Jonah, and, and just the quick takeaway is that obedience to God's direction, obedience to God's word is never optional. It's never optional. Jesus made it very clear. If you love me, you'll go to church. If you love me, you'll put a fish sign on your car. If you love me, you'll listen to Joy FM and nothing else, right? No, Jesus said, if you love me, if, the test is what? You will keep my word. You will keep my commandments. 
And so Jonah, basically, not basically, I mean, he just, he just wasn't going to do it. Uh, he didn't like these Ninevites. They were evil, rotten people. More than likely, he, he knew of their atrocities. Uh, and I gave this example. It would be, and, and just, again, as far as the contrast, okay, it would be uh, the struggle Jonah might would have would be equivalent to if God had, uh, let's say somebody who was a survivor of one of the concentration camps, right? And they became, you know, a believer. And then God had called that person and said, there is a group of former SS officers meeting for some annual meeting secretly, and I want you to go into that meeting and tell them the goodness of God and how much you forgive them and how much in Jesus' name you love them. Do you think that would be difficult? Do you think that would be a struggle? If you know uh, some of the stories of Corey Ten Boom, uh, one time she was speaking at a church and she looked out in the audience, and of course, Corey Ten Boom was an uh, uh, individual who was in the Nazi concentration camp. Her family hid Jews in Amsterdam during World War II and eventually were put in, and uh, her family was killed and, and she survived. And she won, years later, she saw one of these SS officers in church. And as she was sharing the hope of the gospel, and she just immediately recognized him. And as they were uh, walking out and everybody was shaking her hand, he came through. And she talks about how her initial response was not to forgive him, okay? And it's a wonderful story. You can look it up. But that's kind of, when I thought about it, that's kind of helped me to, to try to see. It wasn't just that, you know, they're just kind of, he doesn't like them. There was a deep-seated if I could call it hatred that Jonah had, and he had no intention. He really was okay if God just sent this group straight to hell. He would have signed on the dotted line and said, that's what they deserve. But you know what? Isn't that what the Bible says we all deserve for our sin? We do. You know, we are all, uh, that's what grace is. Grace is undeserved favor that God gives us. And Jonah was not into the grace message, all right? He was a law and order kind of guy, and he was not interested in going and obeying God's word. It just reminds you and should remind us just kind of as a side piece of God's heart for this globe, for this world. And we get real comfortable a lot of times in our own little communities. But God has a heart. For Jesus, the Bible said in John 3, 16, For God so loved South Florida. God so loved this particular ethnicity or this particular group. No, God, for, God loved the planet. He, it wasn't, and that was a radical message to, in Jesus' day, that was a radical message because the Jewish people only saw them as beneficiaries of the covenant. And the fact that God now, and it really wasn't anything new because that was the promise that God gave to Abraham before there ever was a law. He says, I will make your seed a blessing throughout the world. Look at the stars. Look at the sand. That's how numerous your, your, uh, your downline is. If you, some of you know what that means. That's how numerous those are going to receive my grace and goodness. That was a promise, a core promise to Abraham. Uh, Jonah, we uh, don't really know a lot about him, um, but uh, what we do know, there's a few. There's one reference in Second Kings. Uh, interesting, and I, I, don't, I can't prove this. It's just something Jewish tradition uh, suggests. There's not a chapter and verse, but if you know the story of the widow of Zareph, that Elisha he raised her son from the dead. Jewish tradition says that Jonah was that young boy. 
That's what Jewish tradition says. But we don't have a lot of uh, information about Jonah per se except what the book of Jonah tells us. But the thing to take away on the person that God chose is that he reminds us, and we'll see this all through the story through the book of Jonah, is that not only is obedience required, but disobedience to God's word is costly. Say, well, how do you know that? Because I have disobeyed God's word and paid the price. I understand that, and you do too. If you walked with God for uh, eight seconds, you understand that disobedience to God's word is costly, and we see that in the book of Jonah. Look at the, look at the uh, next verse there, verse 3, that'll be on the screen, or if you have your Bible, it says, but Jonah, when, he, when God's word, here's a prophet, a man of God, you would think, oh, he's going to be obedient, he's going to do what God says. What did he do? He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish on the, on the shore, and he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Two different times. Is he running from Nineveh? No. Is he running from... Whatever, what does it say he's fleeing from or attempting to flee? Twice, from the presence of the Lord. When you disobey God's word, it isn't just kind of, oh, I don't think I'll have that. I I, I don't want that option. No, you and I cannot walk and enjoy the presence of God and live a life of disobedience at the same time. I've said it, you've said it, you may be here today and feel it. Why do I feel so far from God? And I would just ask you this, among other things, to say, am I walking in faithfulness and obedience to God? Now, sometimes in walking in faithfulness and obedience to God, there are times that God takes us through those valleys. There are, that doesn't exempt us from suffering and hardship, but oftentimes there are There are times in my life, in your life as well, when you essentially can pinpoint and say, it's because really I am just not, not, go back to the last thing God told you to do. Go back to the last directive and pick up from there, all right? So disobedience to God's word is costly, and he went in the opposite direction. We looked about that. Um, I'm just going to kind of move on, but I would encourage you to look and listen if you are serious about uh, following. Uh, go and check that out online. But he did not want. He did not want to do what God said. He didn't want to tell anybody that God is a a God not only of judgment. God is a God of mercy. He again, he was okay if God just kind of forgot him, wrote him off, and sent them straight to hell. And we ended last week with this truth, is that Jonah's problem was never about Nineveh. Jonah's problem wasn't about God's ministering to his covenant people versus non-covenant pagans, non-Jews, Gentiles. It wasn't that. His problem was with God. And his problem was that he didn't like the way God distributed grace. That was his issue. And there's people that are like that. They just, they just don't like the way God rolls with grace. And that's why we're calling this the gospel according to Jonah. So let's pick up on this next component here. Not just the call that God gave, the man, but let's look at the path that Jonah took. And we can just leave verse 3 up there for the remainder. And here's, here's, here's kind of the takeaway truth, is that you can run from God, but you cannot hide from God. 
You can run, but you cannot hide. Very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning, our first parents disobeying God, what was their first reaction? Chapter 3, Genesis. They're going to hide from God. Crazy. And we've been kind of playing that game ever since. Jonah decided to run from God. He heads for Joppa. That's that. I said Tarshish was a seaport, but Joppa was where he went to, to, to uh, try to catch a ship. And this is where what I want you to look at. He heads for Joppa, and he just coincidentally happens to find a boat there. Now, Joppa... And going to Tarshish, that was, that was a, like at least 2,000 miles across the sea. That was a major trip. That was a major, you know, I mean, ships, it wasn't like pulling up Southwest Airlines and finding 18 flights that go from Orlando to uh, Chicago. No, there was probably a ship that ran once every, I don't know, six months. I mean, it was just, you know, travel was quite archaic then, especially ships and the expense and and whatever. But he just coincidentally, there was a ship just at the right moment, at the right time. What are the chances? Isn't that amazing? It's a miracle. It must be God. We have, and this is really what we see here. I've done it. You've done it. I've counseled people that have done it that somehow read into right circumstances as the will of God. Remember, we're all Jonas. And if nothing else you hear today, listen to what I'm about to say. When we decide to disobey God, you fill in the blank. There is always a boat going to Tarshish. There's always room for one more passenger. An old preacher said it this way. When we decide to run from the Lord, Satan is always happy to provide the transportation. Now, I don't know if that's a tweetable thing, and it didn't come from me, but, man, that's a tweeter if I ever saw one, right? Right? Don't put my name to it. I can't take credit for it, but I'm going to read it again. When we decide to run from the Lord, the enemy is always happy to provide the transportation. He's always got a seat waiting for you. And you've heard me say this, and I didn't originate this by any means, but sin, disobedience, will always take you further than you wanted to go. It will make you stay longer than you intended to stay, and you'll always pay more than you wanted to pay. Jonah is our patron saint of disobedient believers, and we see ourselves in that. I thought about, you know, it's amazing when we start to rationalize in doing the opposite of what we know God's will is and his word is, it's amazing how we can get really spiritual and creative with our excuses. Really. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an expert in that. 
And I thought, what might been, uh, have been some of the excuses that Jonah uh, might have, you know, rationalized or thought about? How about this? You know, Lord, God is really calling me to go to Tarshish. They need the Lord in Tarshish too. So I'm really going there to share your truth. Or how about, I've prayed about it, Pastor, and I have peace about it in my heart about this decision. You've heard me say, when people trump, they want your advice, but they're going to front load it by saying God has already given them peace, I just say, hey, bless you, God bless you. You don't need me. I mean, humor me by asking me, but you've already... You've already, in, you've already brought down the triune Godhead and said he has rubber-stamped your decision. Who am I to argue against God? If you've prayed about it, you've got peace, move on. Because at that point, they're not interested in listening to anything you have to say. They're just really just wanting you to know that, you know, I've kind of threw a spiritual curve and I've got this covered. But as I said, and we'll look at in a minute, circumstances do not always determine... And, and what about this? I, you know, he just coincidentally went down to Joppa, found a ship, and he could say, Lord, look at the circumstances. I had some money. Uh, the ship just happened to be there. It was getting ready to leave in an hour. It, and it just must be the will of the Lord because everything was laid out so perfectly, Lord. How could I ever deny the circumstance, Right? Or he could say, Lord, you know I love Nineveh, ha-ha. Lord, you know I love Nineveh, but, you know, I'm not really the right person to reach these people. It's not my spiritual gift. I just feel like going to Tarshish is the right thing to do, Lord. I just, I just kind of I follow the Debbie Boone philosophy, you light up my life. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? That's the way a lot of we philosophize around disobeying God's direction. Whenever we decide to disobey, we will always find an excuse. And what often I will do, and you will do, I'm assuming, because we just it's part of our nature, is we will somehow always cloak disobedience in religious language. I just feel the Lord. He's given me peace. He's, he's provided all these coincidental things. You know, um, you know. I, I mean, I, I, there was somebody here, I, and they're not here, so I can say it. You know, it, it was, and I don't remember the circumstance, but it was just almost as crazy. And I'm making this part up, but it was almost as crazy. You know, I went into Wawa, and uh, and this girl that I'm, I'm really believe the Lord is wanting me to. Oh, we've been sleeping together, but you know, I just feel like it's the Lord's will that we be together. And uh, she loves uh, cherry coke. And can you believe that the only drink that the machine fountain had was cherry Coke? And, you know, that must be a sign. Now, I made that part up, but what he told me was about as bizarre as that. Now, I wish I could tell you I quoted Scripture in the King James and gave him some, but I looked at him and I said, what are you drinking, man? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who are you fooling? You just take, a, take, a, take some dice and hope that you have your lucky number. Listen, we play those games. You remember Saul? Saul in the Old Testament, he was the first king of Israel. 
And God rejected his kingship. Why? Because he disobeyed God. And there's a story in 1 Samuel 15. You may remember it, but it was really the, the last nail in his coffin, so to speak, when God rejected him as king over Israel. Saul was given an assignment to go and the army of Israel to go and, uh, and, and basically destroy this group of people called the Amalekites. Okay? And Saul did that. They were successful. But the prophet Samuel, by the word of the Lord, gave him a very specific task. said, I want you to utterly destroy. That meant everything that they had. Pretty gruesome. Again, the Bible just tells you that what happened. I mean, everything. Everything. Animals, livestock, everything. And Sam, or Saul decided, what a waste. And so he kept the best of the cattle, the sheep, all those, because he just thought, those, you know, why, why should I destroy all those things? I, I just, that will not, that, these things can benefit us. And just as he was about to have kind of this big party of celebration, he even spared the king, and I just remember that name because it just makes it sound like something when you're sick, Agag, that was his name. How can you forget Agag, right? And just as they were ready to party... The prophet Samuel came on the scene, and he heard the sound of all these animals and knew right away that Saul had did, not, did not do what God told him to do. And this is my point. Saul kicks into religious terminology to, to uh, justify his disobedience. He says, listen, the reason I spared them was because I'm going to offer them as a sacrifice to the Lord which was a big fat lie, right? He had no intention of doing that. Disobedience is costly. And so, you know, Jonah at this point begs another question that we need to consider is how far, how far will God allow us to wander or deliberately go into sin? How far is he willing to do that? I don't think anybody really knows the full answer Because if you know anything about God's grace, he has allowed me and he's allowed you by grace to run a lot of red lights at times. The truth is, is that God will let us go pretty far. He doesn't always stop us quickly, does he? He will let us disobey. And so the question is, why doesn't he stop us sooner? And the underlying backdrop of Jonah is the, again, as I said in the beginning, is the nature of God and more specifically the sovereignty of God, that God is running this operation. And so my answer is that part of God's judgment is that he does not stop us That doesn't sound very gracious. Well, think with me. God could have arranged things so the ship went to a different port. God could have done that. God could have arranged things so the ship had no room for Jonah. God could have done that. He can do anything. He's sovereign. He could have arranged things so that uh, on the way when Jonah was going to Joppa, the thief, a thief robbed him and took his money, and he wouldn't have any money to buy the ticket. 
God could have done all that, but he didn't do it. He allowed Jonah to go. He allowed Jonah to go in willful, deliberate disobedience. And here's, here's the takeaway, is that sometimes the judgment of God is simply that God lets us go on and on in our sin to the point that ultimately we will face the consequences of our disobedience. If you look at sometime Romans chapter 1, you will see in the first chapter three times in talking about the willful sinfulness of the human race and the deliberate, deliberateness of rejecting God, it says three times between verse 24 and 28, God gave them over. God gave them over. Some versions say God gave them up. What did he do? He took his restraining grace, and they were allowed to go in the direction their heart was determined to go. Listen, if you want to jump off the cliff... And God has warned you time and time again, if that's what you want to do, God may not always stop you. Have you found that to be true sometimes? God allows you to make bad and destructive choices. What do we say? We said that Jonah is a story that teaches us that you can run, but you cannot hide. And in what we see in Jonah, that even in his disobedience, is that God was with Jonah every step of the way. Now, we have to be careful that we don't presume that in my disobedience, I know that God is never going to allow me to... No, we don't know that. You don't know that. And it's, it's really a dangerous thing to presume that we know what God will or won't do. But if you are determined to disobey God, if you are determined to go your own way, part of the judgment of God, and I would even say part of the grace of God, is that he allows you to face the consequences of that disobedience. Remember what Romans 8 says? We quoted it. applies here in Romans 8. Verse 37 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul said, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, what we, we understand the big picture of Jonah. We see the beginning and the end. We see what God did. But we have to be careful and say, you know what, God's ne- I, can, I, can just, I can just run all the red lights because, you know what, God is never going to allow me to T-bone somebody or somebody hit me. I can just, will f- just fly by them all. And God will let you do that. God has let me do that. But sooner or later, sooner or later, there's going to be a crash. And so let me this morning ask you, what about you? Are you running from God in some measure? Are you, is your life the opposite of where God wants it to go? Thought you made a clean getaway? Jonah thought he made a clean getaway. He really did. 
Look down at verse, uh, it's not going to be on the screen, but in your Bibles, we'll look at this a little more next week. He thought, got my ticket, got on the boat, heading out, got room service, all is good. Woo! Made a clean break. And he might be preparing some Bible studies for Tarshish because, you know, he's got to make it look good, right? And in verse 5, it's not on the screen, but verse 5 says, and we'll, we'll again, I'm kind of jumping uh, a little bit here, but of course, a great storm came, as we see, which verse 4 is not on the screen, but a great storm came, and it says, verse 5, then the mariners, those on the ship, were afraid. Now, these are not believers. These aren't Hebrews. They're pagan Gentiles. And it says, they each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo that was in the ship to lighten the load because of the storm. They were probably taking on water. But it says at the end of verse 5, disobedient, terrible missionary prophet, where was Jonah? It says, but Jonah had gone down. You see, his disobedience always took him down. We talked about that. Down to Joppa, down into the ship, down in the belly of the whale. Disobedience is always a downward slope. He had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down, and he was fast asleep. Looks like he has gotten away with it. Looks like, man, he has just sailed through the circumstances, but that to me shows the level and the potential of our self-deception is that we can be middle in the middle of the storm, disobeying God, all hell breaking loose, and think because we could just put our head down and go to sleep all is well, that should ring alarm bells in our spirit. That something is not right. Satan, my friends, can work through circumstances just like God can. Now, he's not sovereign. He's not co-equal. But he can work and manipulate circumstances around us. Because the Bible tells me that he is not interested in us. He is not interested in our best. He is not interested in life for us. The Bible tells me in John 10.10, Jesus said the thief, and he is the thief, the enemy is the thief, comes only to steal Steal, kill, and destroy. What is his motive for your life? To give you good direction? To counsel you in the ways of God? No. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And he wants not only to take you out, but he wants to take your family out. Not only this generation, but he wants to continue to perpetuate the dysfunctionality of disobedience and ungodliness in your, in your family for your children, your grandchildren, all down the line. And some of us are on this side of the downline because of choices made previous to our ever landing here on earth. Now, that's not an excuse. It's just, it's just a reality. Satan will always manipulate circumstances. Satan always has a ship. He's always got room for one more passenger. He's always there when we're wanting to run from God. He can make disobedience look peaceful and good 
by creating favorable circumstances to give us the impression that the choice that we made in disobeying God's clear will and direction for our life, really it isn't a big deal. It's going to be okay. God will move on to somebody else. No favorable circumstances can override what God has clearly said. And that shows me the power of self-deception. Especially when we say, but I have peace about it. I have peace about leaving my wife. I just got peace about it. You know, God just put this woman in my life at the workplace and we hit it off and we're soulmates. Yeah, you're soulmates, all right. Think about that. That's the problem. You're soulmates. Some of you that take in transformation will know that reference. Satan will always, always work at creating favorable circumstances as long as... What was, remember what he said to Eve? When you eat of the tree, your life is going to be absolute hell on earth. No. You'll be like God. Isn't it appealing for food to the eye and... I mean, you're going to know things, and that's really why God is, doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he really is holding out on you. You've got to take life by the gusto, baby. That's the message translation. You've got to take things in your own hands. You can't be waiting around on him. He's busy making planets. Go ahead. It'll be good. Sherry, why don't you come prepare as we close this morning. This is called the gospel, the good news, according to Jonah, because it's a good news in that God's grace is abundant to people like us who are rebellious and disobedient. People who are content to either live or go back into living in brokenness and exile from their creator. Again, you may wonder, well, where is the grace of God in this story so far? Well, let me suggest so far, the grace of God, to put it bluntly, is that God's sovereign purpose allowed Jonah to disobey. And I'll even say it this way. The grace of God is the fact that God did not kill Jonah on the spot. The grace of God is that disobeying God, that he allows us a season, a time, even in our consequences. Why? Because he just wants to make our life miserable? No. In hoping that in the middle of, As we'll see in weeks ahead, but you know the story, in the middle of the smelly belly of that fish, Jonah did what? He cried out for God for mercy. Sometimes we're so hard-headed that the only way that we obey God and we get back on track is God allows us to go into the depths of our disobedience for we mess things up so bad 
We say, God, help me. He gives you the freedom. He gives me the freedom to mess up our life if that's what we intended to do. You see, free will isn't just kind of whatever we're going to do, God has to sign off on as though we're in ultimate control. Jonah's will was free to function under the parameters and confines of God's sovereign purposes. Jonah never had a trump card on God. God was never at wit's end, frustrated and saying, oh, what am I going to do now? God will get his man. God will get his woman. And Jonah is a reminder of God's effectual grace that those that he has extended grace to, he will not let you go. Thank God he won't let me go and hadn't let me go. That's grace. That's mercy. And so even though we leave Jonah till next week and he's sleeping and snoring down there and everything looks good and Sin will always look good for a season. It will always look good for a moment. The Bible talks about how sin is fun and enjoyable for a season. But God is not mocked. God is not mocked. And Jonah will find that God's purposes far outstretch his disobeying God's call in his life. Bruce Wilkinson, you may not remember that name, but you maybe remember the little book that was written several years back, the little book on the prayer of Jabez. He wrote that, and he wrote a lot of other things. But I love something he said, and I'll close with this. Talking about, he says, if you're going to run, run with speed, run with power. But ultimately, all that matters is that you run in the right direction. The right direction is going God's way. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, that way begins by knowing Christ. He is what? The way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. We say in terms like a person is lost, it's just they're not following God's way. Jesus has provided a way. We are broken people. We are born into what the Bible calls sin, disobedience to God, that there's No hope, we're cut off from our creator. And God initiated a plan of grace and redemption that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, was confirmed and eternally sealed by his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. And the Bible says that all who have faith in that name, that person, can have life everlasting. God has provided a way of grace back to him but we have to run in the right direction 